If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would ask that you turn to Luke 18, Gospel of Luke, 18th chapter. We'll be with the doctor this morning, as he's sometimes called. Luke 18 will be in verses 9 through 14 this morning. If you have found your spot, would you please stand for the reading of Christ's Word this morning. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. May you hear the Word of Christ. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I can get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. The gift that it is, the inspiration, that the, the breathing out of your word. It is inspired. It is infallible. It has no errors. It is completely trustworthy. And so, Lord, may you open now our ears and our hearts and our minds so that we can receive this word that can be trusted, this word that has zero errors, this word that is meant for your church to bind us together in unity, to bind us to Christ so that we might be like Christ in our lives, in our homes, in the callings that you have before us. But before we can go and live out this word, may you teach us and instruct us your ways. We offer these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As we continue on in the, the small things of, of March, we're looking at uh, another small thing uh, this morning. And it is indeed a small thing, but it is very grand in the eyes of God and once it comes to looking at the culture in which we live, the world in which we uh, inhabit and we're a part of every single day, we'll realize, and it doesn't take us long to pick up on this, at least when we watch the news or scan across social media, that the world in which we live is a world of many identity choices, isn't it? Lots of identities that we see. Lots of choices that you can make once it comes to those identities. So as I see it this morning, we have a couple of questions in front of us this morning, church. The first is this. What is the source, the ultimate source of our identity? What is the source of our identity? And secondly, this question, how do we measure our identity? How do we measure this identity? As it relates to the first, as you can, as I've already said, we can go to many different sources to see who we are. 
I can go to many of you and say you're a father, a grandfather, a grandmother, a mother, a friend, a co-worker. Those are a part of our identity. But those aren't the sources, the ultimate source of our identity. That's just a marker, one particular source of our identity. That's just one facet of who we are. But what's the source, the source of our identity? And secondly, how do we measure our identity? Uh, we, every single week with seventh graders, I see a measuring of identity left and right. Who's taller? Who's faster? Who's stronger? Who's smarter? They're measuring their identity. My own children, once it comes to measuring, oh, I'm a great basketball player. I'm a great baseball player. I'm better than you. They're measuring themselves. They're comparing themselves and trying to identify who they are. So church, what is the source of our identity and how do we measure that identity? Well, first, I think what we find here in Luke 18 is that you have a couple of individuals, this parable that Jesus tells, the first being the Pharisee and the second being a tax collector. And what you'll see here is that they both are drawing near to God. I think that's clear. They're both there in the temple drawing near to God. And they're both there to pray. But notice the intentions between these two individuals. Did you catch it? Did you see it? First, the Pharisee. He loves to horizontally compare and measure himself. What I mean by horizontal is in the person beside us. Think of horizontal plane as opposed to vertical this horizontal comparison that he has. If you look at verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Horizontal comparison, horizontal measurement. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Comparing himself specifically against others right beside him, horizontally measuring himself. Next, Look at the tax collector. Notice what he does. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Here, the tax collector is not horizontally comparing himself, but vertically comparing himself. I can't even measure myself against you, God. I'm just but a sinner. He won't even come close. He says that he's so far off. He's afraid to lift up his eyes to heaven and he cannot see himself as worthy of even being there. That vertical measurement. Once it comes to horizontal measurements, they can be toxic to our own lives. They can be toxic to relationships that we have. They can be toxic to our relationship with God, toxic to others. It can be even toxic to ourselves. When we are constantly horizontally measuring ourselves against others, and it's all too human, we do it all the time, don't we? Well, I make this much money. He makes that much money. He has this kind of status. I have this kind of status. Look what she did on Facebook and the awards she's getting and look what I'm doing. We compare ourselves all the time. But they can become very toxic 
if we dwell too much on them. Once it comes to our relationship with God, when we're so busy comparing ourselves against others, we neglect completely that relationship with God. Because we're so focused this direction where there's no focus vertically. Once it comes to others, when we are so set on comparing ourselves and measuring ourselves against others, it actually can separate us against the very people that we're called to love. Because there's such a comparison here that we're pushing against. We're always wanting measurement, which kind of creates a disturbance in relationships. And then lastly, uh, ourselves. When we are so caught up in horizontally measuring ourselves, it is toxic because it builds up pride. Look at me. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. And we constantly dwell on that and we see ourselves as greater. But here's the opposite of that. If we dwell so much on horizontal relationships and see how great other people are doing and progressing and advancing in their own lives, it can actually have a lower, we can lower a view of ourselves. We can see ourselves as not as important. So not only is it with ourselves puff up pride, but it can actually push down and weigh on us and bring anxiety and hurt to our own selves because we see a low view and a low value of ourselves. But once it comes to vertical measurements, whereas in horizontal measurements we have this toxic part of our relationship, but vertical measurements... They actually grow our relationships. When we're so focused on God as the foundation of our relationship and our identity in Him, it actually grows us in relationship with Him, which will then seep into our horizontal relationships with others, but also a relationship with our own selves. And we have a clearer and better perspective of who we are. So the vertical measurements grow us relationally with God because we're so focused on what He says about us and the identity of who we are that we're not so caught up in everything around us first. We're focused on Him and then it seeps into our lives and it actually grows the other relationships that we have. So the person of God is the source of our identity. It's also the measurement of our identity. Secondly, the propitiation of God. Heavy word, I understand, but the scriptures use propitiation uh, several times. One being 1 John 2, 2. Another one, 1 John 4, 10. Then we have Romans 3, 25 and Hebrews 2, 17, where this word propitiation is brought up again and again. Once it comes to uh, propitiation, though, I want us to think of an exchange, a very specific exchange. What I love about uh, times getting closer into Christmas on Facebook is that uh, we have all these videos of people doing incredible things with gifting to others or uh, great generosity happening as it's leading up into the Christmas time. And so I'll never forget this video that I saw this past December of this uh, Target worker, Target employee who uh, had bought a somewhat newer vehicle, drove it to work one day, and when he gets off, he goes back home, he's about to go back home, and he realizes the car is gone. Gone. Not there. 
Mind you that this man was married and he had a little four or five year old girl. That was their only vehicle for their, for, for their family. And he was out completely. He didn't have enough money to be able to go and buy a new vehicle. So he started riding the bus every single day, still devoted to his job, showing up exactly when he had to, but not able to save enough money. And what was so incredible is this, that the manager, the head manager of Target continued to see him show up, devote his time, able to put in the hard work that it was expected of him. And so the manager, the head manager went to all the employees and asked for donations. And they all started handing out donations and this man never knew what was going on. And then the day of reveal, they asked him to step outside after work and here are all the employees of Target lined up, thanking him one by one for being such a great employee, a great friend, a great father and great husband. And as he's going through the line, eventually it breaks at the very end. And what's there? A new car. Incredible. Even though that analogy isn't perfect to once it comes to the exchange of God, it's pretty close. Because this man could do nothing to get to the point of getting the car that he needed. He couldn't get enough money. There was nothing he could do, yet it was through the grace and mercy of others to be able to give him and be generous enough to gift that to him in a time of need. Once it comes to us, church, it's very similar. Not the same, but very similar that we can do nothing to get out of our condition of brokenness and sin. We can't buy our way out. We cannot work hard enough to buy ourselves out of this condition that we have, the brokenness that's inside of us, and yet God sees us and He comes to us to restore us and repair us and really to exchange something. His holiness for our unholiness. That's the great exchange that happens through receiving faith in Christ. Is that Christ gives us His holiness and He takes on our unholiness. To make sure that there's this propitiation. A remedy of the brokenness that is in us. So once it comes to understanding propitiation or this exchange here happening in Luke 18. Well first we need to understand it that it's a matter of trust. If you look at the Pharisee in verse 12, look what he says. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I can get. What is he trusting? Himself. What he can do. Look at what I've done. And he's comparing it to others. Look at what I have done before you, God. And it is him trusting ultimately in his own righteousness, his own heart, in his own actions. But then look at the tax collector in verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. This tax collector, he's not trusting in himself. He's trusting in the mercies and the gift of graciousness of God. He's clinging to and trusting 
this God who has displayed a great amount of mercy towards him. And he doesn't know. He has no clue how to pay him back. He can just throw himself before Christ and say, this is the mercy that you have shown me. So where you have the first trusting himself, the Pharisee, his own actions, his own righteousness, you have the second person, the tax collector, who is trusting and clinging to mercy. And that's it. So once it comes to measuring, Pharisee, we see here, he's measuring himself against his own goodness. Do you see that? He's measuring himself against his own goodness. He says, I fast twice a week. I give all the tithes that I can get. Which ultimately, if we continue to measure ourselves against our own standard of goodness, you know what happens? It actually builds up pride. And here's the even more dangerous part. It builds up religious arrogance. To the point where you see yourself as righteous because of what you've done. Righteous because of the thoughts that you have. The relationships that you might connect with. But here you have this Pharisee measuring himself against his own standard of goodness. His own righteousness. But not so with the Pharisee. He's, I'm sorry, with the tax collector. He is measuring himself against the divine goodness and mercy of God. And you know what that develops? A great amount of repentance. That's what we have. Be merciful to me. But it also develops this. A great amount of humility. Both go hand in hand, church. Humility and repentance go hand in hand. And we see this pretty clearly displayed through the tax collector. So we have, one, the person of God, how we identify ourselves as our own identity and Him as our source, but also how we measure ourselves. It's in the person of God, but also we uh, have the source of our propitiation, the God who gives and gifts Himself over to us and exchanges His holiness for our unholiness. That is the source of our identity, but that's also how we measure that identity. And lastly, participation in the life and the mission of God. Watch what Jesus says in verse 14, your last verse of the reading this morning. I tell you this, man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He went down to his house justified. This is a very uh, simple picture of the fact that this man who has worshipped God rightly understood the mercies of God rightly, he goes and lives out the mercy of God in his home. In other words, in his daily life. He goes down to live out this justified life, this righteous life. He's not trusting himself in his own righteousness, but throwing himself on the mercies of God and then going and exemplifying that justified life. But notice where they are, church. This is so important. Sometimes we miss this. Where does this all happen, this parable happen? What's the context in place? Look at verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. It's so easy for us to go into our temple, hear the church. And horizontally measure ourselves against one another. 
But that's not what we're called to do. We're here to vertically measure ourselves, to bring ourselves before the mercies of God and allow this God to work in our lives so that we can go to, down to our house justified to show the righteousness of Christ wherever we're called to. But Lord forbid we ever come here into our temple, to our church, and horizontally measure ourselves against others. Because as we see from their own uh, Pharisees, that this can lead nothing more than to our righteousness, self-righteousness, but also uh, a puffing up of pride, which is dangerous, not just to ourselves, but are dangerous to our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Very dangerous spiritually and socially. See if I can modernize this parable for us. If we could take this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and put it in our own world today, here's how I think it would happen. Two men went up into the church to pray. One, a pastor, and the other, a money launderer. Now that changes things, doesn't it? They went to the church to pray because what we expect of this pastor is to be holy and righteous, that he is actually in a right relationship with this God. And what we expect of this money launderer is the one who... Does, is not in a right relationship with God. He is the one that we would never expect to be in a right relationship with God. So once we modernize this parable and put it into our own context, we see, one, the pastor, we expect to trust him. That this is the one that we would never guess that this man, this woman does not understand whoever it is, is not in a right relationship with God. Praying in his church. But here we have a very unique experience here. And it's this Jesus says the pastor, the Pharisee, is actually the most self righteous one. Can you imagine the Pharisees hearing that in his day? That would have been a slap in their face. And yet, it's the one they least expect to be the righteous one, the money launderer. That's the tax collector. He would have gone and collected taxes on behalf of Rome. He would have been a Jewish citizen, but he would have taken those taxes. He would have given some to Rome and put the other in his pocket. He was laundering money for his own good. But here is a restored man, formerly a muddy launderer, the one we least expect to be righteous, to trust in the mercies of God and practice the holiness of God. And here he is measuring himself against God and throwing himself on the mercy of God. May we be more like the money launderer. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. For us to be a people, men and women, who are throwing ourselves on the mercies of Christ every time that we come into this place of worship to vertically measure ourselves against his mercy so that we can be a people that look more like Christ. And so the application, the, the reflections that we have, Jesus is indeed asking us that. Who are you most like? The Pharisee or the tax collector? The unholy, self-righteous pastor? Or 
this tax collector, this money launderer, former money launderer, who is doing nothing but measuring himself against the mercies of God. And also, what Jesus is also reminding his audience around him is that we need to be very careful how we measure others. Is because it is those that we least expect to be identified the kingdom are the ones who are actually a part of the kingdom. Because when we get so caught up in horizontally measuring others, oh, they can't be of the kingdom of Christ because they look like this. They make this kind of money. They are of this color or this race. They speak this language. And Jesus is pushing back against that. And he said, absolutely not. It is the people we least expect to be identified with the kingdom who are actually people of the kingdom, citizens of the kingdom, ambassadors of this very Jesus that we worship. So Jesus is pushing very seriously on the boundaries that the Jewish people had. So here's where we're at, church. We could go back to the question I first asked. How in the world in which we live, the endless identity choices, what is the source of our identity? And secondly, how do we measure that identity? Hopefully, Lord willing, that we first, we measure our identity and we find the source of identity being none other than Christ Himself. The mercy of Christ. And secondly, once it comes to our own identity, Lord willing, we also don't just measure ourselves against the person of Christ and also His exchange, this holy exchange, this sacrifice that He has for our lives, but also that we're identifying ourselves with His propitiation. We're identifying ourselves by the blood of Christ. That we are under the banner of the slaughtered lamb. That it is through Him, by Him, and for Him that we exist. That is our identity. And let us continue measuring ourselves in our own identity against Him, with Him, and by Him. Let us pray. Father, we thank You. Much like the tax collector. That Your mercies have been extended to us. That Your goodness has been overflowing in our lives. And that like the tax collector, we can do nothing but throw ourselves on Your mercies. That we do indeed beat our breast and we say, Lord Christ, have mercy on us for we are sinners. And that we come into this place of worship that we are filled with You in Your personhood. But we also, we are filled with Your propitiation. We are filled with Your sacrifice. And just like the tax collector, that after he worshipped you, he went down to his house justified. That we leave this place in order to present so clearly the justification, the redemption of your life in our own lives. So we, may we be a people who participate in your life and mission of restoring and restoration uh, of redemption and renewal. And so, Lord, give us strength this very day. Give us strength in the days ahead so that we can present to others, indeed, your person. We can also present your propitiation, your death. But also, in doing that, we participate in your own life and your mission 
for your glory and kingdom. And so we offer all these things in your son's name. Amen.